Hi, I'm Don Mackey, welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Welcome to Pathway to Rural Prosperity podcast. I am Shelly Pash and the manager of rural entrepreneurship for Network Kansas. I have direct oversight of the entrepreneurship or e-communities in the eastern region of Kansas. And I began my involvement, engagement, and understanding of economic development, entrepreneurship, and community outreach as a Main Street director in 2007. I continued my passion for entrepreneurship and becoming a licensed facilitator of the Ice House Entrepreneurial Mindset Program in 2015. And I became a full-time employee of Network Kansas in January 2017. I originate from Ohio by way of Florida and California. Moving to Kansas from San Francisco in 2007, I now currently live in Lawrence, Kansas, very unique town, assisting with ecosystem building throughout the state of Kansas. And I have with me today, Don Mackey. And I believe Don and I actually met back in my Main Street days in 2007. Don leads the E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems, formerly the Center for Rural Entrepreneurship, where he has embraced the idea of place-based development and a new initiative with Network Kansas to build sustainable entrepreneurial ecosystems across North America. Don has over 40 years of community economic development and policy experience. He's most recently the co-founder and co-director of the National Center for Rural Entrepreneurship. And through this work, Don helps communities and regions throughout North America grow entrepreneur-focused economic development strategies and ecosystem. Don calls Nebraska home, and he is a proud resident of America's Great Plains region. Welcome, Don. Hey, thanks, Shelley. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. I'm looking forward to you just imparting anything that I can get from you. So it's always, always wonderful to talk to you. And good to see you, even though our our listeners can't see you, but I can. Yeah, well, one of these days we'll be able to get together in person. I think a lot of Americans are ready for that. But for now, we'll make this work, huh? Absolutely. Are you ready for me to fire off some questions to you? You bet. Let's get going. All right. So, Don, share your journey that has led to the creation of the E2 Rural Community Prosperity Development Framework. Yeah, it goes back a ways, Shelley. And really, the work that I was doing for Governor Nelson back in the 1980s and early 1990s, at that time, I was leading rural development for the Nelson administration here in Nebraska. And we really began to ask the question what are the keys to rural community? prosperity. And we felt like we'd gotten pretty good with uh, things like housing and infrastructure, but really we're struggling with how do you build the kind of economy that would allow people to succeed. About the same time, we had been in communication with Rick Foster, who was then a uh, vice president uh, at the W.K. Kellogg Foundation and Rick had a long history in this field, and he was encouraging us to think about a framework for doing this. 
So we brought together some partners, uh, Mylon Wall with the Heartland Center for Leadership Development, uh, Jeff Yost at the Nebraska Community Foundation, some others. We sat down and we began to envision what was called hometown competitiveness, which really focused on four critical things that communities need to do, build leadership, engage youth, foster an entrepreneurial economy, and really mobilize philanthropy to bring new money to the table. So that was the origins. HTC was uh, widely tested in Nebraska and Kansas, and for that matter, all across the country, including some of the border communities in Arizona and Texas. Over the years, we continued to refine that, and in the last five or so years, we developed that into what we call the Prosperity Communities Framework. And in that framework, there's really three essentials that we've kind of boiled this down to. And again, we kind of do that to make it usable for communities. But this was really based on what communities were telling us. And so those three essentials were, again, entrepreneur-led development as a way to grow a more diversified economy, realizing that most rural communities were typically dependent on maybe one or two industries like agriculture and maybe a manufacturing plant if we're in the Great Plains. But we also recognized what communities already knew that, uh, and you had experience with with Main Street, quality of life placemaking is essential. We've got to build on the assets of our community to make them livable and workable. And so that became one of the critical essential elements. But also given that most rural communities, one of the ways they have displayed their distress is throughout migration. So how can we create the kind of community, the kind of economy, the kind of place where people attraction, development, and retention become possible? And if we do that right, we can also build the capacity of the community to envision and stand up a much larger agenda that can lead to transformative change. So that's the history. It's been a 35-plus year journey but uh, communities really connect to this framework, and we find that encouraging. It certainly is. And yes, the Main Street model certainly works. And the things that we're doing with Network Kansas, for sure, the thing in the entrepreneurial-led economic development is just a fantastic way to go. So why the focus on prosperity? And then I'm going to hit you with the three essentials you talked about as well. I think part of it is aspirational. With hometown competitiveness was really saying, how do you become competitive in a global economy? But for a lot of people, they kind of connected that and said, oh, gosh, that means competing with my neighbor. And that's not what we were promoting at all. We were really supportive of regional development. And particularly with entrepreneurship, regional collaboration is very possible. And it was actually Kansas. Harry Watts at the Kansas Farm Bureau And some others began to say, well, why don't we call this prosperity? And so the origin of the term was every community should aspire for prosperity, broadly shared prosperity where everybody in the community has an opportunity to build a better future for themselves, but also a community that is vibrant and thriving, has the resources it needs to support great schools and parks and support entrepreneurs. And so that's really the origin of why we embrace that term. It's to set that aspirational goal for communities to say, We want more than just simply being a little bit better. We can actually aspire to be a more prosperous community where everyone can thrive. Absolutely. I agree. And, you know, whenever I hear competition, I don't see that as a bad thing, though I'm not a business owner. But we always try to kind of get that in the heads of people. Everybody should welcome competition for sure. So you did talk about the three essentials of people attraction, placemaking, and entrepreneurship. 
expand on why entrepreneurship is so foundational within this development model. It really comes back just to the practical reality that every day across the globe, billions of people wake up, hundreds of millions of communities gear up to try to create an economy and where people can make a living. And uh, we look at that broader time frame. how do we build a more vibrant, diversified economy in rural America? And it goes back to what I said before. Too many of our rural communities have a very narrow economic base. They're dependent upon agriculture, mining, timber, forestry, maybe tourism, which is seasonal. And that really makes those communities very vulnerable. So, you know, as long as the coal mines were at full tilt in parts of Appalachian, Kentucky, those communities were doing pretty good. But once the coal industry began to lose out to natural gas and automate, those communities really were hit hard and they hadn't diversified. And so there was nothing else to fall upon. And so we then saw rising unemployment, underemployment, the opioid crisis, a whole set of things that illustrated what happens when you're dependent on one industry. And so back 20 years ago, it became clear to us that entrepreneurship was the primary pathway to uh, growing a more diverse economy, that if we can empower entrepreneurs to pursue their dreams, they're going to grow a more diversified, robust economy. Because somebody may choose to live in your rural community. I mean, I think about Brad Moline and Russ Pankaden and tiny Imperial Nebraska, Community 2000 down in southwest Nebraska. They came together to create Allo Communications, a telephony company. And what was really neat about that is it's now one of the fastest growing companies in Nebraska. Now in Lincoln and Omaha, thinking about moving into Kansas City, it still has a headquarters in Imperial. Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. But think about what it means to have a corporate headquarters like that in a community that is primarily agricultural-based. It makes a huge difference. So we became convinced that fostering entrepreneurial behavior was the best way to reinvigorate rural economies. And it's also a whole lot more cost-effective than other development strategies. And that's why the work you do with ecosystem building in Kansas, which has been so informative to our work, is so terribly important. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm like, I started scratching down notes and, oh my gosh, I got to learn more about this. So can you tell us where E2 has been field testing the Prosperity Community Development Framework? Well, a couple of places. This concept's been out there for a while, but we've had two really in-depth opportunities. One is in some work in Indiana with the Lilly Endowment and community foundations who, through the Lilly Endowment, were challenged to engage in community economic development. Over the last two years, uh, we were very involved with over a dozen regions of uh, Indiana, and that's where we really beta-tested some of the terminology, some of the framework with community leaders and got such positive response. It made sense, and I think that's part of the value of this is there's people in the community who know placemaking is important, but they kind of get dismissed by economic development that if we just create a stronger economy, these other things like housing and access to broadband will take care of themselves. Well, there are segments in the community that know that that's not true. And there's other folks who know we need to figure out how to become a more welcoming community so that we can attract not only new residents to our community, but create the kind of community where our kids and grandkids would like to come back to 
And so it validated, I think, what rural leaders, uh, rural community builders already knew. And so that work spanning basically two years was very powerful. At the same time, we were working with the University of Nebraska Extension and the Rural Future Institute at the university on a project uh, where we had a cohort of seven different communities across Nebraska where we intentionally deployed this framework. It was a three-year project with the idea that uh, by the community energizing itself to focus on these three essentials, could move into an agenda that would really position them for positive, transformative change. What's really exciting about that, and I was just on a call with the uh, vice president for the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources at the university, they are now launching uh, Rural Prosperity Nebraska. So they've embraced this as the primary way that the University of Nebraska is going to engage in community economic development work in Nebraska. And so both of those experiences really helped us build out this concept and this framework. I love it, especially with the welcoming back of youth and welcoming back of anybody that actually wants to come back into the community. That's something that always sticks with me whenever you say that. It's not all about smokestack chasing and getting those other organizations and companies to come in. You can build with, on and maintain with what you already have. Absolutely. I mean, this all goes back to something we're all familiar with, and that is asset-based development. This has to be community-centered, focus on the assets and opportunities that you have, and then build out from there. And when you do that, it gives the community the best opportunity for a brighter future. And so a lot of underpinning research behind this framework that we've drawn on from other folks like John McKnight at Northwestern, who created the uh, asset-based development framework and, and others across the country. Thank you. You're so much more articulate than I am. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> we're doing good. great. <laughs> Okay, so what is E2's longer-term plans with the Prosperity Community Development Framework? I think, to be fair, our primary focus is on the entrepreneurship piece. How do we really continue to be a resource to North America and maybe outside of North America? I get communications every week from people in Nigeria and India and other places that are interested in the work that our expansive team has done or is in the progress of doing. So we're going to stay focused on entrepreneurship, but what we find is it's important for communities that are looking at entrepreneurial development to understand that if you want to foster that ecosystem, it really matters what kind of community you have. It matters whether or not you have a decent coffee shop. Do you have uh, restaurants, gathering places, those kind of placemaking things, the ability to walk or bike your community? So the placemaking becomes really important. We think that's part of the ecosystem. The other part is if you've got growth companies like Allo and Imperial, are you a community that's willing to welcome diversity? People who are going to come into your community because there's now jobs and they have somewhat different views and maybe customs. And it's more than tolerance. It has to be we see diversity as an asset, and so we're really going to open our doors, put out that welcome mat. So in our opinion, the prosperity network or framework really represents parts of a broader entrepreneurial ecosystem. We'll stay focused on the um, entrepreneurship side, but these other two pieces are really critical for communities to focus on as well because 
creating jobs is not enough if you don't have a community where people want to live and work. Agreed. And I love the part of diversity is, I agree with that. It is an asset. So some of the communities that I work in, and of course, I'm just in the Eastern region, not just, that's a lot of communities. I've got 18 communities that I oversee and come alongside with. Some of these communities are 2,600 in population in the county and up to 165,000 in the county. So I guess my next question kind of comes in was, does this framework have urban applications? Well, we think it does. I mean, the largest community where we've worked in is Terre Haute. It's a small metro in Indiana. So I think the basic principles apply. We hope over time our friends in urban America will look at this and go, yeah, this makes sense. So we'll share it widely. So my sense is the basic elements are grounded in really solid community economic development principles, and it should have application. Thank you so much. So Don, share with us where our listeners can learn more about this. So a couple of things. One is we have a paper that uh, we will be sharing with our listeners on the Rural Community Prosperity Framework. We also encourage you to go to our website, energizingentrepreneurs.org. There, there's a whole set of free resources. For those of you that really want to go deeper with us, we have E2's National Practitioners Network, where you can access our wide range of resources free of charge by simply committing to share back with us what you're learning. We have a free monthly newsletter and, of course, this podcast. And beginning next year, we will start providing this podcast twice a month, and that'll be a great place to learn. But go to our website, sign up for some of these things. Uh, It's easy to unsubscribe if you don't find it helpful, but those are some resources that relate to today's podcast. And it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Thanks. It's my pleasure, Shelley. I look forward to doing more of these with you. You do great work. Thanks for the conversation today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. (music) 